close your eyes and go to those places individually because nobody can else can do it for you just stand let him let him come to those places allow him to come in and let him see you and you see him in those places that darkness of your heart and he's saying today daughter today child today son nothing can separate you from my love nothing can separate you from my love nothing you could ever have done nothing you could do now nothing you can do in the future nothing so now you get to enjoy my love because you know the truth that it is strong and everlasting and eternal so god we thank you this morning oh my goodness can we praise him today thank you god for that kind of love thank you god that nothing like we don't have to worry about our friends or family or things that are in present in the earth that is temporary god but we can see you and say i we don't what, what it doesn't matter who cares but god your love for us stands forever we thank you and we praise you this morning we thank you god and we praise you for this solid ground that we get to stand for eternity that nothing everything else will pass hear this everything else will pass but your love god will stand forever so we thank you for that truth god we thank you jesus you looked at your disciples and you said to them after the crowds left you will you go also and you said Peter said to whom shall we go nothing else you have the words of eternal life Asaph the psalmist in Psalm 73 said whom have I in heaven but you what is there to be desired upon this earth besides you nothing else all that we want Lord God Lord I know some of us may look at our lives and we may think to ourselves we feel bad because there have been other things instead of you this song doesn't capture our reality but sometimes what we need to do is speak to ourselves we need to preach to ourselves we need to communicate something true to ourselves so that our lives catch up to our declaration in some of our cases here in this room, our lives may not be where they need to be, but if we would just join together with everyone else, can we sing this last chorus? If we would just join together with everyone else, recognizing that we may not be exactly there yet, we'll catch up to what our words are declaring. Let's sing that last one. Father, we ask now, as we've had the chance to 
to sing these glorious truths, we pray that you would seal this Holy Spirit in our hearts. Don't let it get away. We know the enemy and what he's up to. May he not rob anybody out of your blessing upon their lives. Help us to guard what we've just sung and declared to one another, we pray. Be with us now, Father, we ask as we're about to make a transition from our time. Lord, help us, Lord God, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand. Praise God. I just want to appreciate our worship team and our AV team and ushers and those who welcome every single one of you. It's, it's just really a blessing. I always want to make it a point. Uh, I think it's important that we acknowledge just each and every person's contribution because the church is what it is uh, because of the people. Amen? And, and I, I hope we don't lose sight of that. It's as you welcome and receive somebody new or even who's a regular in the hallway, in the lobby, in their seats, it, it means something. We never know what, what people are going through. We never know what people are bringing to the church. Yes, they made it, but you don't understand that they had enough going on in their lives not to make it, and yet they did by God's grace. And when, when you, you come behind and help and make it possible for sound to be heard and for the equipment to function appropriately when we got people who are available and present to lead in worship, when, when you have people who are prepared to pray and to, to lead us in times of prayer and who offer encouragements and, and serve in just different ways, who, who put the words up so that we can actually sing along and all these things. It doesn't matter whether they're little in certain people's eyes or big. It's all a contribution that results in we all being able to have an opportunity to connect with God. It, it, it facilitates our time with God, which is what, if we really care for people at the end of the day to connect with God, we want to make sure that everything along the way that leads up to that doesn't get in the way of that. That's why everything that's done matters, no matter where it's being done. Amen? Praise God. God bless you. And I am eager... Uh, to get into the Word uh, today with you. If you have your Bibles, please let me invite you to just turn together with me to Philippians in chapter 1. If you've been with us, you know we've been continuing a series through a book of the Bible, and that book is uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we're in Philippians in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Y'all see the sign outside? Yeah? Mm? Yeah. Praise God, right? Philippians 1, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, where Paul says there, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter <laughs> do it out of love, thank God, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the former, on the other hand, they proclaim Christ, but just out of rivalry, <laughs> not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? What are we going to say about all this? Verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Amen. God, we pray that you would be with us during this time of word. Help me and help my brothers and sisters to gain much out of these next few minutes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I just love me a comeback story. Um, I mean, you see this in sports. doesn't matter whether we're talking about on the grass or 
uh, on the court. I don't know what particular sport is you. <laughs> or maybe it's in the octagon, like with Khabib last night. <laughs> or um, in any particular sport. Everybody loves them a comeback. Not just one of those sports events where uh, from the beginning, from the time that the clock started all the way to the end, this is boring. We already know where this is going to go, right? We already know how this is going to go. They're crushing them. This This isn't a match. Nobody pays dollars to to watch something like that, but oh, does everybody. I'm imagining if I got some older millennials or even some mid-millennials, younger millennials, whether it's Jordan in my time and if it's with New York, Madison Square Garden, or if, uh, if it's in Boston with the Boston Celtics, we can all look at a time where the Cavaliers of a comeback game where you remember the score, you remember the, the turning event quarter, you remember the minute, you remember who shifted gears and what all led to that comeback, right? It's just stuck with us, and we all appreciate that. Maybe if it's not sports, maybe it's, um, it's film, it's a movie, Right? Maybe you're like me where you love that kind of movie where it looks like the plot is unfolding in one way, but then before you know it, it just, they just flip a script on you, no pun intended, and, and all of a sudden it's like, no way. Really? So he, he came back. For me, growing up, uh, there's a bunch of them, but one of the comeback movies for me was Rudy. Anybody watch Rudy? That was, that was my time. Rudy was just, it doesn't matter who you were, boy, girl, black, white, doesn't matter what demographic, where you, what your background was like, everybody related to Rudy. Because his story, going to Notre Dame and trying out and, and making it, and everything that he had to, every feat, every obstacle that he encountered, when it looked like it wasn't going to turn out as anything, it ended up unfolding in ways that just blew our minds away. And it spoke to everybody. Everybody loves a comeback. Today, in our message this afternoon, at this point, we got a comeback story. We got a comeback event. It may not be sports. It may not be a movie, but it's, it's real life. You know, your life, if God's in it, is all about comebacks. That's the good news of the gospel. That no matter what may be going on, no matter what things may look like right now, if I could borrow the analogy from a book, it's only in the first few chapters. There's still many chapters yet to be written. If it's a movie, we're only minutes in to the film. If it's sports, it's still the second quarter. It's not even halftime yet. There's a comeback story to your story. And we're about to see one here today. As we had the chance to see weeks back, this story doesn't really begin with verse 15. It begins with verse 12. You'll remember in Paul's case, he had the opportunity to be able to inform this particular congregation, this church, and everybody else who was not a part of the church as far as what his present situation was. So he gave them an update. And, they, and many people were applauding and thankful to God that he wasn't dead, that there was still a chance with him. And even better yet, God's been using him while he's in his unfortunate, undesirable circumstance. So it wasn't all a lose-lose situation. The only problem was, you know what's interesting is um, it's, it's a lot easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. You ever notice that? It's a lot easier to go to a Luxo, if I could relate to anybody, to attend uh, a house where people are mourning Or somebody who may be physically disabled or ill who needs attention. Why? Because all the help is going in one direction. It's it's well-defined that I'm the person who's able to offer you assistance and help, and you're the person in need. That I got something to offer you. And so a lot of times, if we're not careful, it's not that that's not bad, that that's bad in and of itself. It's just we can mask our desire to want to be, quote-unquote, there for people, in such ways that really doesn't capture what our heart, where our heart is at. Whereas in the case of rejoicing, man, you really got to have your heart right. I don't know if anybody could relate to me. You really got to be at a good, sweet spot with Jesus. 
You really got to be a stable, secure with yourself, within yourself type of a person to be able to celebrate somebody else's successes and W's. You just do. Otherwise, it's like, praise God. I knew he would do it. Thanks for praying. I mean, I, I had to get back to you because I know you were telling me, yeah, I was really praying. <laughs> well, that's what you got right here. You got these brothers that Paul says, some preach Christ out of a goodwill and others preach Christ out of envy or jealousy and rivalry. In other words, you got two different groups preaching the same message. It saves. It'll get you into heaven. The only problem is not with their message, but with them. And so Paul is like, look, I mean, if somebody tells me for years that they're praying for me and that they keep me at the top of their little prayer book and they're constantly sending me cards and, and saying stuff like, man, I'm going to keep you in prayer. Man, I'll be praying on that. Man, I'm really sorry. If there's anything I could do, then I'm going to come back to them when things change because I'm believing that they meant it. And therefore, I'm going to share with them not just the bad news when that's all I got. I'm going to share with them the good news because I'm imagining, I mean, you would think that that's what they want to hear. And so he does. I want you to know, verse 12, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that many of the brothers who are even where? In Caesar's household, with the, among the imperial guard, are even what? Stronger to, and more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and much more bold to speak the word without fear. But what did Paul come to find out? They weren't all that thrilled with him. They're like, what? You mean you, you're, he's not going to die? You mean that there's a chance he may be out? You mean God took his situation and turned it around and is now using it in all sorts of people's lives? You mean his Facebook following is not going to go down and then I'm going to inherit it? <laughs> you mean his website is not going to come down and I'm going to get all of his subscribers? That even though he's in prison, he's still crushing it? No. And he's like, what? There are people out there like that? I got haters? <laughs> Paul had haters. Paul had people who were into wanting to tear him down. And now they're finding out that it isn't over. You see, they were thinking that it was going to be an easy transition. They were trying to not make new converts, but inherit the ones that Paul had. After all, it's over for him. And here he is sharing his news. You see, the problem with Paul was this. Paul was a unique individual. Paul is an apostle right now, but he wasn't always this way. Hmm? You see, there was a time in Paul's life where he was a Pharisee. And when he was, these brothers, these preachers, these apostles had been with Jesus, perhaps even during Jesus' lifetime. Perhaps they even learned from Jesus. Uh, they, they, they even had the chance to be commissioned alongside the other apostles when Jesus was on his way out. And so now Paul comes. Paul probably witnessed Jesus being the age that he's at. He knew who Jesus was, but he wasn't following and leading the way he is right now as early as these guys were. Paul's a Johnny come lately. And so here Paul is a latecomer to the faith He's somebody who showed up third quarter. Where are you at? I just got in traffic. He's the new kid on the block who transferred from, from Frisco to Wiley. And like, you see the new kid? No, 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 he's in my class. No, you got to check him out. And here he is now. He's on the scene and God's using him. God didn't waste no time. Wrote 13 of the 27 books of our New Testament. Planted how many churches? Didn't have to wait 20 years to begin to be used by God. That's going to grow a little envy. <laughs> And so here he is on this scene, and now they're wondering, what in the world is this? Jealousy, envy. You see, it's not something that's just unique to what we see here in the book of the Bible. It's unique to all of us. Jealousy is it's, it's an interesting kind of a sin, and, and especially envy. They're related, but they're distinct. It's, it's sneaky, jealousy and envy. It's not like the other sins that we're all aware of. It, it speaks to and it stems from our insecurities at the end of the day. Ultimately, it goes back to our fallen nature and it goes back to the garden. 
You go far as back as uh, Adam and Eve. It was envy and jealousy that led to them wanting to be God. You see, jealousy, at the end of the day, if I could give you two definitions, is this. What describes jealousy is this. Number one, it's a reaction to my feeling threatened. It's a reaction to my feeling threatened by somebody else. A second definition that would also be helpful is it's a fear that I may be replaced by somebody else. That's what jealousy is. So when you experience jealousy, if you feel it, it's a reaction. It's an emotional one, granted. It's an emotional reaction to my feeling threatened. Threatened by what? Any number of things. You name it. There's no one thing. It could be anything. I could feel it's a reaction to feeling threatened by your charm, your sense of humor, your intellect, your reputation, your education, your marital status, your success, your position in life, your brilliance. I'm threatened by any of that, you see. It's also a fear of being replaced by, as by another employee, a fear of being replaced by another spouse, a fear of being placed by another boyfriend. It's a fear of being replaced in, in one way or another by another pastor. <laughs> right? It touches all of us in one way or another. And we see it with Adam and Eve. We, we see it even with Cain and Abel. It was, it, was, it was jealousy that moved Cain to want to take his own brother out. We see it in the heart of Esau. It was jealousy and envy that got a hold of him that resulted in him wanting to go after his brother Jacob because of the blessing that came to him. It was envy and jealousy that got a hold of King Saul that resulted in him chasing David relentlessly to want to do him in. Why? Because of David's success on the battlefield. Saul has slain how many hundreds? But David has slain thousands and his increasing popularity among the people. We see envy and jealousy even in the hearts of the religious leaders that Pilate noticed in Matthew 23 where he said it was envy that moved them to want to hand Jesus over to him in replacement of Barabbas. Envy is everywhere. Jealousy is everywhere. It's in the heart of every person. No exception. And it's something that we all as Christians even need to contend with. It's ugly. It could get messy. In fact, Proverbs 14.30 says it can lead to the rottenness of the bones. That's how deep jealousy can go. It's stomach churning. It touches my sleep habits. It goes after my eating habits. It affects everything, my performance at work. It can come after me relentlessly. Song of Solomon 8.6 tells us it's like the grave that takes you in and swallows you in alive. Jealousy. Jealousy. Now, the definitions for jealousy are, are interesting because when you look at it in the Bible, the Bible in your English translations, it could translate it either way, jealousy or envy. The difference between envy and jealousy is, is a subtle one. It's a subtle one. Envy is my preoccupation, my feeling threatened by something that belongs to you. So it's the thing, it's not you. That's why envy and covetousness always throughout the Bible go hand in hand. Jealousy, on the other hand, has to do with me being threatened, not so much by what you own or you're in possession of or what belongs to you, but by you, your person. And so envy is the dog on the leash, if you will. Those who hate dogs like me. <clears throat> envy is the dog on the leash. Jealousy is the dog when I notice it's off the leash. Jealousy is envy gone wild. You see, envy, we all admit to it. Oh, I envy your vacation. I could use one right now, right? We'll say it out loud, right? We don't shy away. It's not taboo. We'll just say it. It's in our vocabulary. But jealousy, it's nastier. Nobody just comes out and talks about, I'm jealous of you. We keep, we... <laughs> And if it comes out, it comes out. And that's what jealousy is. Envy is inside. Jealousy, if envy is not checked, got out. It's like that dog that you see in the neighborhood. It's like, who does this pit belong to? How did it get out? That's jealousy. And when it gets out, it gets out with the vengeance first on you, 
by messing you up emotionally, with your diet, with your sleep, with everything. It, it impacts everything. And then if it doesn't stop there, it starts coming after other folk. You see it in, you see it in movies and relationships. Houses get burned down. Car gets pushed into the water. <laughs> we, we pay for these films, right? We love to watch it, but we don't want to be it. Amen? And that's what you see. It could impact us even in our relationships. And Paul here is experiencing that himself. Paul is witnessing that. Not so much as someone who is being that, but it's being done to him. And that's the other thing. Sometimes people think they get away from jealousy because they're only looking at it one way. There are three ways in which you and I contend with jealousy. Number one, there's me being guilty of being jealous of others. That's one way. The second way is me being affected by others' jealousy of me. That's the second way. The third way is me being the cause and contributing factor to your jealousy. The only reason why you're jealousy right now, jealous right now is because of what I did to, to bring that out. Does that make sense? You see, Jesus was never guilty of being jealous of anyone. That's not what drove his life. And that's going to be important as we move forward and develop this thought in order to find out how do we overcome it. Just note that for one second. Jesus was never guilty of being jealous of others, nor was he affected in such a way that it took him off track and affected God's purpose on his life. He was never knocked down or stumbled by other people's jealousy of him, even though that took place. And lastly, he never contributed. In fact, it would have grieved his heart at the thought of causing someone else to be jealous. That's important. Why do I say this? Because the key to your contending with, the key to your combating jealousy and me combating jealousy is in us becoming more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. That's our problem. We need to be saved from ourselves as it relates to this area. I want to show you something in Ecclesiastes, if I could. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 4. There's something interesting that, that Solomon says there. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 4. He says there, Then I saw the preacher, not this preacher, but this preacher. He calls himself a preacher. This preacher says it too. But Then I saw that all toil and skill, there it is, in work. So all toil, that could be work, all work. And all skill in work could also be translated all ambition. Some of your versions may say ambition. All ambition, everything you've obtained from your work, come from a man's what? Envy. Of what? His neighbor. This also, what's the conclusion though? This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. He says, it comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. You see, some of the questions that people often ask, though, with regard to jealousy and envy is, uh, is it all bad? Is there ever a time? Doesn't the Bible say somewhere that God's jealous? So how could it be sinful? It's a question that comes up. Is all jealousy bad? Is all envy dangerous? So there's productive envy or jealousy, if you will. And then there's counterproductive jealousy, if you will. All right? And so what we notice here that Solomon is saying is something a little interesting because what he's pointing out is on the surface, envy is not necessarily sinful, but it could be. could be real quick, and that's the thing. Based on what we learn and understand all the scripture teaches on envy and jealousy, it's a real quick move to it being problematic, almost always. But what he's saying is, on the surface, not necessarily so. In fact, what does it do? It leads a man to do what? To toil and to work and to achieve. But what's motivating him? Envy. Go to LA Fitness today or tomorrow. Right? And you'll notice a lot of those guys or gals who are in there are there doing what they're doing because they saw somebody on Instagram who had the gall 
to want to lift up their shirt and show their APEC and say, this, this was me five years ago. This is me now after three years of time at this gym. Look at me, crushing it, hashtag whatever. It's like, great. Thanks for showing it. And you're, we're looking at ourselves like, man. But you know what? It works. <laughs> Look at who's at the jobs that they're at. Look at the students who pick the majors that they do. I saw somebody that I was envious of. And it moved me to get off my behind and do something for a change about myself. I know we may say, but you should just do it for the sake of doing it. But I'm just telling you how the world turns. (laughs) And that's how people end up doing what they do. In fact, there are people who get married just because, oh, she getting married? I'm getting married now. They got a kid coming? We better get a kid. They bought a house? how they buy a house? I didn't know they had the credit. I didn't know they had, they're making money like that? Where? They're across town already? How'd they get there? Right? We got to buy a house. Jealous envy will move a man to get it done. <laughs> it just does. And what God is saying here is, you know what? On one level, it's really not a, a problem because we all need each other. That's, that's one, if you will allow it, one positive way social media could help is you'll see an inspirational story of how left to, left to myself without that video, I was always saying it's over, it's done, and you watch something, you're like, you know what? I feel like I could do something. But at the end of the day, what Solomon is saying is when you lean on it like a stool and you put your weight on it, what is it called? It's vanity, and it's a striving after the wind. For the Christian, at the end of the day, to make that my primary motivation, why I'm getting my behind up and doing something for a change with my life, is poor. It's a poor motivation. One of the differences between a Christian doing things and accomplishing things, achievement, versus a non-Christian is the glory of God. The glory of God. Why? Because you play around with this, all it is, all it takes is, like in the car, just one turn and you're in the wrong neighborhood. And you're like, whoa, lock the doors. We're about to get out of here real quick. I thought I was on Forest Lane on that side of 635, right? And then I got on Forest Lane and then I took a turn and I see some people that recognize that even I don't belong here, right? I ain't got no cousins here. We got to get out. And so when you start playing with jealousy, like, no, 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 I got this under control. I'm just being envious for positive reasons. I need something to kind of get me going, right? I need to trim this waistline down, or I need to get back into school, or I need better study habits, or I really need to get married, or I really need to work on my character. It's like, okay, but just make sure you do it the way Jesus did it. (laughs) Because the way that you combat jealousy is not by using jealousy, (laughs) To get yourself ahead, because it'll turn around and come after you like nobody's business. So then how do you do that? We got to look at Jesus, John chapter 5. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. How did Jesus live? That's the question. What, what WDJD, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? What would Jesus do. This is what he'd do. This is what he did do. Verse 19, John chapter 5, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. You see that? The son, he's saying, the son of God doesn't do anything of his own will. So like, I don't just get up and, and do what I want. I don't make up my own motivations. I don't find my own plan and purposes. No, 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 no. That's not how I operate while I'm here on this earth. I only do what I see who? The Father doing. And so whatever Jesus is about, whatever his life is about, you you know this for sure. It's because he saw it in his Father. He kept his eyes on his Father in order to govern and shape and motivate what his life eventually was going to look like. Don't we sing that song? Jesus says, I say what the Father tells me to say, 
I do what the Father tells me to do, and I go where the Father tells me to go. You see, I don't do anything of my own will. That was Jesus. What governed Jesus' life was the glory of his Father. And the only way he could bring glory to his Father was through how he made sure his motivations stemmed from not what he's up to, not what's going on with them, the Joneses, but what's going on with my dad. What's going on with my dad? Some of us would help ourselves a whole lot if we spent more time looking at Abba than we do whoever is on our social media feed. Like, oh, okay, I got to make my life about that. That's what's killing us. And I'm going to show you in one second too. Verse 44. John 5, 44. Same chapter, verse 44. How can you believe, Jesus says, watch this. How can you believe... When you receive glory from who? Huh? From one another, right? And then he goes on and he says, and do not, not only do you receive glory, praise, honor, affirmation, attention, you fill it in. Not only do you receive glory from one another, you don't even seek the glory that comes from the only God. So he says, how can you believe when you're receiving glory from one another, but you're not receiving glory only glory that can come from the only God. In other words, God alone is supposed to give it praise, affirmation, promotion, favor, love, attention. Why is Jesus saying this? Because he's interacting with these religious leaders. And in the context, we don't have time for that, but just to set it up real quick, they're, honoring, they're styling themselves like they got it good with God. Like they're the ones who are in the end. And they're pulling it off before the crowds. The crowds are like, yeah, I could tell. You look like it, too. You look like you're really close to God. Like you got him on, you know. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's like, not true. And he just pulls the blanket off. He's like, see? And what does he say in verse 39? You search the scriptures. I noticed that. That's good. I see you're in the word. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. But here's the problem. You won't come to me that you might have life. In other words, the whole purpose of the Bible was to get you to Jesus. I'm here. Hello? And you haven't even come to me. And he's saying, so what the only conclusion I could draw is you're false. You are deriving glory and attention and affection not from my father, but from other people. That's where it leads you. And so Jesus says, how does what Jesus say relate to jealousy or envy? This way. When I make it my aim in my life to find and draw praise and look for and receive praise and affirmation and wholeness from other people, I cease being able to get it from God. And as a result of that, I don't believe. Jesus said, you can't believe because you're receiving praise. He says, how can you believe? You can't. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says in Matthew 6. You're either going to look for praise and affirmation and identity from people, folk, or you're going to look for it from God. You can't look for it in both places, is what he's saying. In other words, what helped Jesus be able to not receive that glory from people was the fact that he was getting it from who? From his father. He was getting it from his father. You see, what hurts us a lot of times, as we saw in Ecclesiastes 4.4, is when we are looking for this praise, it's fine when we're getting it, but as soon as people withdraw the praise, as soon as people withdraw all the affirmation, there we go with it. It's like me leaning on, on a stool, and then you just pull the leg out from under me. There I go along with it. But notice this. When I put my weight on my father and the glory that he wants to give me, the honor that he wants to offer me, people can come and go. But guess what? I'm not collapsing. I'm going to be able to hold it together. I may be in a relationship, but you know what? If it didn't work out and we had to break up and go our separate ways, that's fine. Why? Because I wasn't looking to you in the first place to get glory. I wanted to see if it could go somewhere, but even if it doesn't, guess what? God's got me. 
Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you. She may leave you. He may leave you. That church may leave you. (laughs) Paul had to experience it. But I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's got me. God's got you. People can come and go. Things can come and go. But guess what? Charm can come and go. (laughs) Praise and, man, you are are the best thing since sliced bread. Cheesy. Uh, Let that one go. (laughs) We're going to edit that one out. I don't know why. That's like five years ago. I'm sorry. I apologize. (laughs) But if that, as soon as that goes, you find out just how much. It's not to say that you don't acknowledge when people say thank you or when people say great job or good word or I appreciated that worship or thank you for helping me. Man, you, I really appreciate you. Accept it. Praise God. You're welcome. Even Proverbs tells us, Proverbs 20, if, you, if don't praise yourself, let another praise you. What's the problem then? When I look to it, when I lean on it, how do you know when you're leaning on it? What it does to you as soon as it goes. If you're a Christian and your identity is rooted in God, you should still be ticking. You should still be moving. Your life should not be on. There's a lot of people who moved in and out of Jesus' life and ministry all throughout his three and a half years. But guess what? He set his face like a flint, the Bible says, toward Jerusalem. It was for the joy that was set before him that he was able to endure the cross. It wasn't for the praise of others that he endured the cross. And so when we start ceasing to live for, I'm just still looking for it. Maybe if I do this, it's like, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Jesus wasn't jealous of other people, nor did he cause other people's jealousy, nor was he affected by other people's jealousy of him. Why? Because he remained rooted to his father, and he got it from his God so high. You see, God exalt you. How are we going to close this? In this way. Maybe this is a struggle for you in one area or another. We see that, don't we? In different places. And sometimes we, we we're, we're in the middle and we think we got it good and then all of a sudden it's like we can't even make sense out of ourselves. And God says, look, Humble yourselves. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, I'm going to exalt you. In his proper time, the Bible says, in my proper time, what's God going to do? Bring you back down? No. Exalt you. Bring you glory. Honor you in his proper time, though. See, a lot of times, I remember, I'm a big Amazon Prime dude, and I was placing a number of orders, and like typical, I was expecting my packages to arrive, my books, and they didn't arrive. I'm wondering, like, what's going on here? I know the, the, the transaction went through. Y'all got my money. <laughs> so I know. It, it said, thank you for your order. Okay, I got it. And so I'm talking to them, like, are you sure you didn't? No, I know. I could send it to you. I could forward this. Well, wait a second here. Let's take a careful look at this, Mr. Khalili. Do you remember what format you ordered it in? I'm like, well, what are you talking about format? I want my books, Right? It's like, well, can you just take a careful look? I'm looking like, it says Kindle. Like, what's the deal? Oh, it says what? Kindle. It's like, what? It's not paper. What do you mean paperback or Kindle? See, if it's Kindle, you already got it. It's in your account. You just need to go to this place. I could direct you if you want. It's there. You could download it onto your platform if you want so you can read it, but you already have it. You see, you, you don't, there's no need for you to walk out of your house and keep looking in the mailbox. It's not going to come, sir, because you didn't order it paperback. And I'm afraid... A lot of times, as it relates to this, in our own struggle, it's like, if you're in Christ today, you already got it. You already got it. God's love, God's affirmation, God's glory, God's honor, God's approval is already with you. And we keep going out, it's like looking at it and complaining and calling in and and saying, look carefully, though, at the format. You see, when you gave your life to Jesus, all of the love, all of the affection, all of the honor, behold my son with whom I'm what? Well pleased. All of the pleasure, all of the ways in which he's for him now belongs to you. It could be safely said, it could be safe to say 
that every way in which the Father is toward Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, he's toward you because you're in Jesus. And therefore, I don't need to find it by getting into a relationship or by getting a job that this other person has or by getting a promotion that this other... I don't need to find it by using envy and jealousy as my motivation. That's the problem with these guys, these brothers. Same message. The problem wasn't with their word, their gospel. It saves. The problem here in in Philippians 1 was with their hearts was with their hearts. They couldn't rejoice together with Paul who rejoice. And so what's that avenue toward hope, that avenue toward overcoming envy as we come to a close? What's that pathway, that road to healing, that, that place where you can experience peace all over again, where your timetable may not be another person's timetable, where your predicament and situation and relationship context could ebb and flow. They could change in all sorts of different ways, but you could remain steady in your life. What's that answer? It's it's in Christ. The more you and I become like Jesus and less like ourselves is the more we begin looking for praise and glory from the only God and not from other people. So I don't know where you are at. I don't know where that struggle is. I'm not sure where that jealousy, that envy is getting a hold of you. But you don't need to be in an ideal season of your life to begin to experience the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. This whole book that we're in is all about joy. 16 times the word joy comes up. That ought to tell you something in this book alone. And Paul is right now is saying, yes, and I will rejoice. I'm going to rejoice over the fact that I know these guys are envious of me for no reason. I'm going to rejoice over the fact that these guys are trying to make matters even worse for me while I'm in here. I'm going to rejoice. How? By entrusting them into the hands of God and recognizing I never needed to get it from them in the first place. And that God is able to help them while God is helping me. I'm going to remain in my own lane. I'm going to remain in my own lane. But your joy has got to be found where? Not in people's praise or approval. Your joy has got to be found in Jesus. So many of us are finding our joy by how I'm stronger than you. I'm buffer than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm more educated than you. I'm, I'm married and you're not. I got more kids than you don't. I live on this side of town and you don't. That's how a lot of people do. That's where they find joy is through their comparison with other people. And they're constantly trying to be around people where it's very clear that I got this and you don't. And it's like, that's a miserable way of living. That's a miserable way. All all God has to do is just shake up the deck. All he's got to do is shake up the deck a bit and the tables are going to be turned and you're going to be the one lacking and you're going to be around people who've got it all and now you're going to feel it. And God says, rather than make making your joy found by virtue of what you have that others don't have, why not allow your joy to be found in Christ, period. In Christ, period. That's the life that Jesus purchased for us. Amen? Let's stand if we could and pray toward this end. Hallelujah. Just take 30 seconds if you will. Just take 30 seconds with your life with what's going on in your world, in your circle. Let's bring it to God. Let's give it to him and say, God, maybe that prayer is going to be like, you know what? I need to start naming names in my head and thanking you for them. It's kind of hard to be jealous of someone and praying for them at the same time and being thankful for them. Let's be thankful. Or maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's not a person. It's something. Let's start being grateful for what God is doing. We want to be people who don't just weep with those who weep. We want to be people who are capable, because of God's grace, who rejoice with those who rejoice. Praise God you're getting married. Oh, y'all got a kid coming? I'm so happy for you. Let me know how I can help. Y'all moving in? Can I help with the housewarming? Y'all need help moving? Right? Oh, you just got a promotion. Man, I knew you could do it. I always knew that. That's the kind of energy, that's the kind of positivity, the kind of excitement that God wants us to have. It's like it's it's happened to me, but it's happening to you. But that's all right. 
that's all right because our God is good. Our God is good. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of ours. We pray, Lord God, that you take this word and make sure the enemy doesn't steal it or rob it from us. Anchor our souls in these truths, we pray. Help us, Lord God, to have the kind of patience that 1 Peter says. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in his proper time, that's the key, God's proper time, not my time. I don't tell God. In his proper time, what does he have every intention of doing? Exalting me. God, I'm going to just wait on you because you're good and you're worthy of my patience. You're worthy of my patience. And while I'm waiting, I'm going to be praising and thanking you and be grateful and rejoicing together with others whose time has come. Peter looked at Jesus and was like, Lord, in John 21, what about him? You told me I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to die upside down. But what about John? What about him? He's like, what is that to you? What is, what is that to you, Peter? What is that to you? If he were to go on and live a ripe old age, what is that to you? Follow thou me, Peter. In other words, my plan for you should remain fixed no matter what my plan is for the next man. What is that to you? And I believe that God is saying that to me. Like, what is that to you, Neb? About the next pastor in town, the next church planner. It's like, how come they running services this on hitting these numbers? How come they got church services? How come they got resources like this? How come they got a budget like this? How come they got an ideal location like this? And I know God is looking at me. I'm just trying to be vulnerable. And he says, what is that to you? What is that to you? Follow thou me, Neb. God help us, Lord. We want to combat this fierce, subtle, creepy sin, Lord God, through our faith in you, Lord Jesus, and our confidence in your ability to come through for each and every one of us. Do this, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody say it.